Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Listen to Less. This is going to be part two of the me answering the questions that you guys asked on both my Instagram and my TikTok. So before we jump into that, I have a very special guest for part of the episode. My brother is here, Troy Cucho. Welcome to the podcast. Well, Les, thanks for having me. Um, I'm <laughs> glad you guys all get to meet the favorite child. And here I am. You're the middle child. Middle favorite. I feel. I I think I've heard that middle. The middle child, you hopped in the least favorite. Yeah, I mean, give or take, depends who asks. <laughs> I'm the oldest, for those of you that don't know, <laughs> if you couldn't tell. All right, well, today I'm going to ask Troy some fun questions in a little segment called, Does a Man Know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Are, are you excited? I have no idea what these questions are. I don't know what you're going to ask me, and honestly, I don't know if I know. <laughs> But I've been surrounded, like, benefit of the doubt, I have been surrounded by you and Renee and mom, like, my whole life, obviously. So that you know, is I, might, true. I might have a good intel. That is true. I will say, like, I can talk about my period or hormones to you, even if you, you're, like, in your head, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> mm-hmm. You've never made me feel weird about it. Yeah, I usually just don't say anything <laughs> in return. <laughs> well, yeah, but you've like never like some guys like even Drew when we first started like being together, mm-hmm. he would be like your thing. He would call my period your my thing, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, let's grow up. Now. Yeah, that was funny. I feel like with my profession, you got to get used to it. I talk about periods all day on the yeah. internet. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have five questions for you. What's wrong? Are you ready? They're yeah. all about female health. Okay. Okay. Hit me with them. Number one, I'll accept two answers to this, mm-hmm. but you have to name them. Okay. How many phases are there in a female cycle and what are they called? Okay. When you say female cycle, I'm, uh, I'm assuming you're talking about the menstrual cycle. <laughs> <laughs> and- yeah. And, you know, I'm just going to go with that's one of them. Okay. Um, uh, well, how many phases are there? <laughs> no, actually, hold on. Think about it. I, I might actually know this. So I know that there is an ovulating phase. Yes. Um, I'm assuming there – I'm just going to go with there's three. There's, like – the one before ovulating, which is a really short window, I guess. And then um, that's when the, the egg is produced, I think. And after that, maybe it's when the egg dies and then it's like washes out or something. That's pretty good. Maybe. That's pretty good. So technically there's, you can either say there's three or four. Some women will say there's four and they separate two of them. I would have accepted three. So I think you were on the right track. There's menstruation, which is like your period. Mm -hmm. Then there's the follicular, but technically you have your period within your follicular phase. Then there's ovulatory and then your luteal. So you were right. There's like before, essentially there's the phase before ovulation, ovulation, and then the phase after. Mm -hmm. So good job there. Hey, there we go. Okay. This one, next question. What is the technical term for a period? Menstrual cycle? No. Um, kind of. Menstrual. <laughs> Lady. <laughs> <laughs> Menstruating? Menstruating. Menstruation? <laughs> yes. I know. I, yeah, Menstrual I know you just, I think you just eating. said it. So I was like, oh. <laughs> so I'll give you that one. So you're like 1.5 for two right now. That's not bad. What two hormones are the dominant hormones in females? Estrogen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a... I mean, the only other one I can think of that's relatable is testosterone, but I don't think it's dominating. You're right. That's a male dominant hormone. Okay. We have it, but it's not our exactly. other dominant. It'd be estrogen and... Start to the P. Uh, P, 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 P. 
Uh, I have no idea. I, I can even throw out a guess. Progesterone. Pedestrian. Progesterone. Pedestrian. Progesterone. Progesterone. Are you trying to mess it up? <laughs> Bro. Bro. Jess. Jess. Terone. Progesterone. Good. <laughs> <Yeah>. Two more. <laughs> I'm going to ask you this one because you already kind of answered it. Mm-hmm. What is ovulation? Ovulation is when the the egg presents itself. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Essentially, yes. Yes, that's when an egg is released. Okay, last question. You've done so good. You've done pretty good. Does birth control balance a female's hormones yes or no you know this one might not be fair because i've just lived with you so (laughs) obviously i know that it doesn't it um i don't think so because it like from what i've what i've picked up on is that it just throws everything out of loop and it makes things like unhealthily or say like basically no i don't think it balances them i think it just regulates mm-hmm. the bad stuff mm-hmm. the good stuff i think I, you should you should should go with your your first half of your answer or just call it yeah no it does not balance them <laughs> correct <laughs> you started going with it regulates i was like no no, no it doesn't <laughs> It does not balance or regulate your hormones. It severs the connection from your ovaries to your brain. Yeah. So it blunts your own production of hormones. Yeah, and then it just it just messes everything up, right? And then it yeah spikes things. It provides and... you with synthetic versions, mm-hmm. and then the whole system is just there's what is that called? There's a cog in the system. <laughs> cog. <laughs> it's just it's just it's um, it's fucked up, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you did pretty good. How do you feel? I mean, I I feel like I was well well prepared for it just from uh simply just from growing up with being surrounded by girls. But realistically, if I did ask a lot of my friends that, there's I don't think there's a good chance that they would know. They would have no clue. Yeah. Or they might have. Yeah. No, they probably wouldn't know. Or they're just really ignorant about it. That's yeah. Fine. In reality. I, I saw another influencer and she had like a mini mic and she was going up to people, you know, those like street interviews people yeah. do. Yeah. She was doing street interviews and asking guys these questions. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I need to do that. But I don't know where I'd go. True. I could go downtown Dallas, but like, I don't know. It's yeah. Like, well, I'm thinking if you did it in like a college campus, like where one of the bars at that I worked at, there's, yeah, there's no way. If you oh, I should just do guys. it at the tab. Yeah, you could. I should go on Friday night and go to the tab and just take my mini mic. Yeah. <laughs> Ask all the, people, all the yeah. guys these questions. All right, Troy. Well, you did great. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I mean, I'm beyond blessed. I love this. I love what you're doing. I wish I could I wish I could be here more, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Me too. <laughs> all right, Troy's got to go. He's got to go make his own money. He's crushing it. Fresh out of, fresh out of school. When did you graduate? Uh, Has it been a year? It's about to be a year. Next month will be about to be a year. He's in his first big boy entrepreneur job. We're just a family Mm -hmm. of entrepreneurs here. He's crushing it. He just crunched the numbers. Not going to say what he made, but he's killing it. Very proud of him. Proud big sis over here. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for being the inspiration, Les. Love you. Love you. Alrighty, let's jump into your questions. Troy had to go get to work, but that was a fun little segment. So we'll have to do a whole episode with him in the future on some sort of topic, maybe growing up with sisters or something like that. I don't know. Alrighty, the first question we have that we didn't get to. So like I said earlier, this is going to be a part two, the remaining questions that I didn't have time to get to in last week's episode. So first question that we have is, what tests do you recommend for improving gut health? And this question depends greatly on the person, on the symptoms, on the health history, on so many different things. And this is this is why it's hard for me when people DM me and ask, they send me like, 
a whole list of all the things they're going through. And they're like, what should I do? Or like, what test should I get? I'm like, I don't know yet. I need to have like a sit down conversation with you to be able to see like, do we just need blood work? Do we need a full GI map? What's your diet like? Are there things that we can do in your lifestyle? Like that is something I am seeing a lot in the functional nutrition space is people are jumping into these expensive functional labs right off the get-go for people that have really terrible diets and aren't sleeping, aren't like drinking water, have a very dysregulated nervous system. And if that's you, that's totally okay. One, we love working with you. Don't think you're any less than, but just know that you should probably work on those foundational things before you jump into any sort of lab testing. It's kind of the same thing of like, this boils my blood when people go to the doctor and the doctor tells them that their diet has nothing to do with the health issue that they're experiencing when the health issue they're experiencing is has everything to do with your diet. Like your overall health and everything, we're finding so many things like even Alzheimer's, schizophrenia, they those are mental and brain disorders that they're finding connections to your gut and your diet. So everything has to do with your diet. So if you're somebody that you're trying to figure out what to do, you're trying to figure out what tests to do, and you're not sleeping, you're a walking stress ball, your diet needs a lot of improvement, and you're barely hydrated, not really drinking electrolytes or water, start there first before you jump into advanced testing, okay? Because a lot of your symptoms might just go away when you get those basic foundations in check. If after you've done that, you're still experiencing X, Y, and Z symptoms, then it's the question of, okay, what testing could we do now? So when it comes to people that have like more hormonal issues or just in general, like fatigue, maybe thyroid issues, metabolic issues, things like that, I tend to go more towards a comprehensive blood panel first. And even with people that have a lot of GI issues, I may do a comprehensive blood panel first just to see what, like, you can tell a lot from blood. You can tell what the liver's doing. You can tell what your kidneys are doing, your blood sugar, your insulin. You can see inflammatory markers. You can see hormones. You can see your thyroid. You can see your iron. You can tell a lot from a blood panel and be able to move forward with just a blood panel if you get everything that you know you probably should in a blood panel i've had it's really difficult to get um, medical doctors to order an entire comprehensive panel and sometimes their reasoning just seems so silly to me and it just really bothers me because i'm like these people could benefit from having some of these tests done and you're just not doing them for whatever reason it is, there's a lot of reasons why it could be, whether it's insurance coding, whether it's they just don't know what to do if that comes back flagged because that's not their specialty. I've had people say, we don't order insulin because there's nothing we can do if insulin comes back high. That's a load of crap. We see that we help people with their insulin levels all the time, every single day. So I don't know. It's just, it's very interesting um, that it's so difficult to get certain blood markers through your doctor. Um, but I do like to run blood first and foremost, most cases. Um, if you're having a lot of GI issues and like you've been doing all of the things, you're still having severe bloating. Maybe you've got tons of acne that's not going away and it doesn't correlate with hormones or it doesn't correlate with just recently getting off the pill or any form of birth control. You've got like acid reflux, you can't like think H. pylori type symptoms where you're like you're burping all the time, you feel really nauseous after you eat, or even if long periods of time without food, you feel really sick to your stomach and feel worse. Um, you have symptoms that correlate with like parasites. That could be an indication for you to go with a GI map. And a GI map is a stool pathogen test. So this screens for um, bacterial pathogens, viruses, some parasites and worms. Um, it does scan for candida, but it's not my go-to test for candida because if you have candida showing up in your stool, you have 
a major candida overgrowth. Um, the first stool test I ever did, a candida showed up on mine. Um, but as I've kind of treated it over the years, it no longer shows up in stool, but it does still show up on another test I'm going to talk about here in a second. So stool testing can kind of miss candida a lot. Um, just because, you know, it might not be in high enough quantities in your stool. It can even miss parasites because, you know, we have this thing called biofilm within our gut. And that's kind of the way it was described to me when I first learned about it is biofilm. If you think of like a swamp, that green layer on top, that's kind of hiding everything lurking below the swamp water. Think of that as your biofilm in your body. It's kind of this like protective sheath that pathogens, candida, parasites hide within and under, and then they don't get detected on some of these screenings. So these aren't foolproof, but they can give you a good indication of DNA of certain pathogens. So like I was saying, the GI map, it shows you some parasites, some worms, viral infections, um, some pathogens like food poisoning type of pathogens, but usually those come back non-detected in the clients that I run these on. Because if you had like food poisoning, you're going to the ER, right? You're not coming to me like to run a GI stool map on you. Um, what else is on there? Um, bacterial overgrowths, both commensal and opportunistic bacteria. So commensal, think of as like your good gut bugs. Opportunistic are the, the bacteria that if the good guys are your troops, right? And if your troops are not there or they're undergrown from, um, and they've been killed off from rounds and rounds of antibiotics, the opportunistic bacteria can flourish and then they cause a lot of problems when they're overgrown and there's no troops, no good guys to keep them in check. And then it can also show your digestive function. So it can show things like beta-glucuronidase levels. So if you struggle with estrogen dominance, beta-glucuronidase is a good marker to see is that elevated because that, that could be why um, your estrogen is staying high or you have estrogen dominance. And that's a good indication that you have estrogen dominance because of your gut health and your liver and detox health. Um, it can show your um, gut immune system levels. It shows anti-gliadin, so how you're reacting to the um, protein and gluten. It shows inflammation markers, and there's some other in, um, digestive markers that the GI map shows as well. So that's a good test for um, intense like gut symptoms, GI symptoms that have not been able to be addressed with working on those foundations, diet, sleep, all of that, um, and it's just not getting better. That is a good test for that. You do have to work with a um, specific type of practitioner. Um, I do order these for my clients and sometimes for like one-off lab reviews, dietitians, like functional dietitians will order them. Um, certain types of integrative health practitioners can order them. You most likely will not be able to get this type of GI screening at your medical doctor just because it's more of a functional test and they just don't do that and insurance doesn't cover this type of testing. Um, and then the next type of test that I wanted to talk about is an oat test or an organic acid test. I'm still kind of learning about this test myself, but this is how I was able to see that I still do actively have a candida infection, candida overgrowth, that because it didn't show up in my stool, but it's still showing up in my urine through organic acids. So this test can show you like your neurotransmitters, your water-soluble vitamins, like your B levels, your C levels. Um, it can show you candida and different types of yeast. It can show you um, different, uh, some molds. This is different than a complete mycotox test that measures all mold overgrowth or mold, not mold overgrowth, mold toxicity. So this is a test, a urine test that you do do at home. And um, I would do this if your symptoms are more like candida yeast mold based. Um, it does show byproducts of certain bacteria overgrowth. So it can be used in conjunction with a GI map to really get a full picture of everything going on. Um, but yeah, if you're, if you're thinking yeast, like you're having yeast infections, you've got a lot of like anxiety, depression, psychological symptoms, scratchy scalp, skin rashes, poor balance, acne, itchy skin, itchy inner ears. That's the type of, I would go more towards an organic acid test. Um, and then lastly, when it comes to food sensitivity tests, I don't really recommend food sensitivity tests because there's so many different ones that are on the market, but the best one is an MRT 
test, but these tests, it's like $500. So it's a very expensive test to do this. I don't recommend people really do an MRT test unless they have some sort of autoimmune condition and inflammation is just so high and nothing we do is getting inflammation down. I think doing a basic elimination diet will provide you the same value but save you the money and not freak you out about everything that lights up red that you eat on a daily basis that's lighting up simply because you have some degree of leaky gut and you're not actually sensitive to that food. It's just lighting up because you do have a little bit of digestive dysfunction because a lot of times those IgG food sensitivity tests are going to tell you you're sensitive to everything you eat regularly. So I think they're kind of a waste of money and you can do um, this, you can figure out the same thing, but even maybe a little bit more accurately with actually feeling and seeing how your body reacts with an elimination diet. All right, next question. What are steps that I can take after multiple rounds of antibiotics to replace my good gut bacteria? I love this question. I think antibiotics are overprescribed. I also used to, like when I was growing up, I grew up in a household where I was told to tell the doctor I'd been struggling with my symptoms for longer than I had been to be able to get an antibiotic. That is not how things should be done. And looking back, like I've had yeast issues since I can remember back in college when I would get an antibiotic, I would also ask for the yeast over like a candida medication called Diflucan because I knew once I took the antibiotic, I would have a yeast infection. So I've had these candida issues for a long time. And I think that goes back to how many antibiotics I took in my younger years, like from childhood all the way up through college before I really had the functional education. I know now that antibiotics are not always the best route of action. And nine times out of 10, the thing that's making you sick is viral, not bacterial. And an antibiotic is not going to actually kill that off. It's just going to kill off your good bacteria in your gut and leave you susceptible to having, um, to get sick again, and then to develop candida overgrowth and other gut pathogens. Because when you kill off all of your good gut bacteria, you're literally killing off your troops. And if you don't spend months repopulating those good gut bacteria, then you're left defenseless for months. And it's your like your literal defense system is knocked out. So then pathogens have an easier time infiltrating your GI tract and causing issues down the road. There was a very small study that I um, was reading into. I think it was so small. There was only like seven participants, but it showed in within that specific study that it can take anywhere from two months up to two years to repopulate your gut's bacteria after you kind of kill it off with um, antibiotics. So that was super interesting. So what should you do? Okay. Well, one prebiotic rich foods. So prebiotics are kind of different than your probiotics, your probiotics. We all know we take those in a capsule, right? And that is essentially taking the bacterial strains that live in your GI tract. You're just taking them in a capsule form, but you can also get probiotic rich food and prebiotics. So prebiotics are like feeding the good bacteria. So things like that are garlic, onion, dandelion, shikari root, artichokes, bananas. Those are just a few. There's so many out there. Um, Probiotic rich foods are your yogurts, your fermented foods, your high quality dairy products, um, your kimchi, your sauerkraut. Your prebiotics are your the ones I listed before and things like fiber because your good gut bugs, they munch and munch and munch on your fiber. So getting fiber in your diet is going to be very helpful to repopulate those troops back up after you just kind of like killed them all off with a round of antibiotics. Other things to consider are polyphenols and antioxidants. So eating a lot of your fruits and your um, vegetables that are vibrant in color, like your berries, your deep reds and blues and purples are going to be really good. And your like oranges and your yellows to get vitamin C to help bring back those antioxidants that help you to repopulate your immune system. Um, right after you've taken an antibiotic, I would highly suggest that you avoid alcohol and you avoid high sugar diets. I'm talking like cane processed sugars. This leaves you, I mean, this was my issue. Like 
I would get a yeast infection every time I took an antibiotic. So I'm killing off the good gut bugs. And then yeast is an opportunistic pathogen. So we have some degree of yeast in our body. And when the troops are dead, it is like, ha this is my opportunity. And it takes over, right? And what feeds yeast and candida? Alcohol and sugar. So avoiding those for, I would say at least a couple, I mean, I don't think we should be eating a lot of those or drinking a lot of alcohol anyways. But right after an antibiotic, you're going to really want to think about limiting those for at least a couple of weeks until you get some of these good pre and probiotic rich foods in your system to kind of start building back up that um, immune system, those troops before you start eating things that could potentially be feeding an opportunistic pathogen. Okay. All right. Next question. I had somebody ask, um, how to get rid of estrogen dominance. And I'm going to refer you to the entire one hour episode called estrogen dominance that I did with Kara Goss. It's just an, a couple episodes back. It's episode 10. We talked the entire time about estrogen dominance. So I would go listen to that episode. If you are struggling with estrogen dominance, you'll get a lot of your answers there. All right. Next question. Next, next question. How to pick the correct coach when you think your problems start with hormones? So I love this question because you need to vet the person that you are hiring. Even if that's me and we have a consult call, I want you to ask me questions. Like there are a lot of people out there that I don't think have the credentials they need to be able to talk about the stuff they're talking about or to be able to be taking on the clients that they're taking on. So when you set up, like always set up a consult call with somebody to be able to talk to them first about your problems. And then through that consult call, one, you'll definitely be able to like feel if you have a good vibe with them. I think that's also important. Like just because someone is very smart and educated in the topic like for for myself example for example if you hop on a call with me and you're like wow she like Leslie knows what she's talking about but she we just I don't vibe with her like I just don't have a good chemistry or connection with her like I just am not vibing with the way Leslie talks or the way Leslie acts that is okay and you should go find somebody that does know how to help you one and two that you really vibe with because this is like working with hormones and the way that I personally work with clients. We are together for six months. We are talking multiple times a week and having in-depth check-ins once a once a week. And I'm asking you like to tell me your deepest and darkest secrets. So I need you to vibe with me and trust me from the get-go and know that like you can trust me and feel good and comfortable and safe working with me. If you don't feel that way within the first hour of us talking together, then I want you to go find somebody that does make you feel that way because this is such an intimate thing working on your hormones and you need to be able to trust and just feel safe and vibe with the person that you're going to spend months working with in such an intimate container, right? So number one, always set up a consult call so that you can talk to them, to vet them, see what their credentials are, see if they know what they're talking about, ask them if they've worked with clients like you with similar issues, and see if you vibe with their energy because that's very important. I also would just be careful about um, certain types of coaches that are like one size fits all, if you know what I mean. When I work, when I am working with clients, and I used to be this way, I used to think everybody needs to track macros because that's all I really knew. Um, but I've definitely grown and evolved as I have learned and had more experience with clients. Where not every single one of my clients does track macros, and somebody that maybe is tracking macros because we're trying to get them to eat more, but they don't necessarily have a weight loss goal. I'm not as stringent about like you need to hit your each macro within five grams, like it's way more loose than somebody else that is trying to lose weight. So finding a coach that works with how you want to achieve your goal. Like for instance, if you don't want to eat vegan, don't apply with somebody that is a vegan only coach or promotes a vegan diet, right? Or if somebody is a keto coach and you don't know if you want to do keto, then 
don't apply with them, right? Or even somebody like, this is one that gets me, is the food freedom coaches. I feel like those are the coaches that are telling you that you can eat anything in balance and you're fine. Like, as long as it fits in your macros, you're fine. You know, those type of coaches, like, that is that might be fine and dandy if that's what you identify as or if you, that's not the right word, not if you identify, if you... What am I trying to say here? If that's the vibe you vibe with and that's kind of what you want to, the route of action you want to go to balance your hormones, then go for it. But just pay attention to what the person you're applying to work with, what their modalities are and ask them that on the call. Say, and maybe they don't, like you might not know that I have some clients track macros because I don't identify myself as a macro coach, right? I say I'm in the functional nutrition business because I work with each client differently and meet them where they're at with what their needs are. There's some coaches out there or nutritionists out there or even dietitians out there that they will put you on the same program as everybody else in their container. Even if you are different, you have different issues, or if you don't necessarily want to track macros or you don't want to, or you want to try to track macros, but they're like, no, it's only intuitive eating. I don't do macros. So what I'm trying to get at is just basically vet the person on the consult call. And if that person doesn't jive with you and you like, you've asked all your questions, you've seen what type of modalities they use, what type of approaches they use, and that feels icky to you, don't work with them. So essentially, I would just make sure you you have a consult call and you vet that person before you sign up and pay them money. Okay, deep breath. I'd love to hear more about brands you use for food, health, cleaning, and beauty. Okay, this is vague, but, um, and I could talk about this like for so long. So I'm just gonna give you some of my current favorite brands in each of the topics that you asked for. So food, recently, before my elimination diet, I have been loving, this is a bar. It's not like a recipe. This is a bar. So it's like a snack bar, but the 88 acres banana bread seed bar, when I was traveling and like on a plane, I, those were so freaking good. They were like my new favorite. I was previously obsessed with the Go Macro snack bars. Now my new obsession is the 88 acre banana bread seed bar. Two, um, and I feel like I'll have better food stuff to tell you with new recipes and stuff once I'm out of this elimination diet because I have so many recipes I want to make that I've been seeing on TikTok that I'm like, oh, that is so healthy and just looks delicious, but I can't eat it right now. Number two is cleaning. I've been using Branch Basics for eh, like two months now. Um, As a general cleaner, I love it. I'm not loving it for my laundry though. My laundry, I have not really found a detergent or just like laundry soap that I've loved. At first, I thought it was working and I was using the like oxygen boost and I've even used Molly Suds oxygen boost. But some of my clothes I noticed when I would put them back on, they kind of had like a musty smell. And this could have been because I left them too, like in the washer too long, but I can't remember if I did that. Like I don't, I'm not like, oh, I left those in the washer too long. That's why they smell this way. I'm like, is this because I accidentally did that and don't remember leaving them in there too long? Or is it because of the, the cleaner I'm using? So I'm still still using it, um, still on the hunt for like a more non-tox cleaner detergent. All right, beauty. I just recently um, needed to up or reorder some makeup stuff. So I ordered the brand Well People, like W-E-L-L People. Certain things I loved, certain things I didn't love. So I ordered, the things I ordered that I loved were their, the brow gel. The brow gel was really good. I ordered the brow pencil and I liked it, but it was the completely wrong color for my eyebrows. So I don't use it. So like the application was nice and like it went on smoothly, but I can't give an honest, a better review than that because I only used it once, realized that the color was not right for my eyebrows and never used it again. Their powder foundation, loving, loving it. 
When my acne is really bad, I tend to use like a full coverage liquid foundation and then I'll put a powder over that. But sometimes that feels really heavy to me and I don't always want that much makeup on my face. And now that I've been getting a little bit more sun, my face has a little bit of a tan to it. And my acne has been, since I started this protocol, my acne has been looking like great. Like I've had very minimal breakouts. I've been able to just use powder foundation instead of a full coverage liquid foundation and the well people it's, I love it. It's worked great and it has not broken my skin out either. Um, and then I got their highlighter, the highlighter little stick. Love it. I was using honest beauty highlighter powder and I did not like that at all. Um, and so I got the highlighter stick from well people and I absolutely love it. The other thing I ordered from them, but I am not a big fan of was the concealer. I didn't I just felt like you could like, it didn't really rub in to my skin and like melt away. You could like see it on top of my skin. So I didn't love that. And I don't know if that would be similar to their like liquid foundation. I didn't get a liquid foundation, but if their concealer is like that, that makes me think that their foundation would be like that too. Okay. We've got three more here. I got off of hormonal birth control in January of 2022. It was, in, it was, my period was instantly regular which was great this month so it's been like over a year my period came six days early should i be concerned and is this normal this is actually funny that i got this question because this month i got my period 10 days early which is kind of wild that it came 10 full days early than when i normally get it but here's the thing for me and this might make sense for you i'm on an intense gut antimicrobial protocol right now and I've been dealing with some intense stuff in therapy. I've been going to therapy like at least twice a month. This last month I went every week because I was having so many panic symptoms um, and just like really not feeling well mentally. So I went every single week. So I've had a lot of mental, emotional stress and a lot of physical stress on my body over the since I've started everything like basically since 2023 started i was like wedding season is over now it's time to refocus and get myself to a good happy place again and i went in i went hard in the paint right so it makes sense like i got it 10 days early and honestly i i like you shouldn't feel relieved if you get it 10 days early and that's like not normal for you but it pushed me into my follicular phase again instead of my luteal phase and i immediately stopped feeling anxiety and i was like oh this is nice. Um, but I wasn't freaked out because it makes sense to me. It's like, okay, your period can come early or late if you're under a lot of stress. So my question to you is with it coming six days early, have you been more stressed lately? Not just necessarily this month, but the past like two or three months, have you been under a lot more stress? Have you been on like a gut protocol? Have you been on a hormone protocol? Have you been traveling a lot? Are you dieting? Um, because dieting is a stressor too. So what type of stress are you under both physically, mentally, emotionally, environmentally, work-related? Um, if that answer is it's been more, then that kind of makes sense to me that you would have a, your, you would start your bleed six days early because that can happen when you're stressed out. The last time, um, I think it was in 2021, the November 2021, I had a ton of travel within like six weeks. I was like only home for maybe a week out of six weeks because I was traveling so many different places and my cycle came 10 days late that month. But it was just because, and then the next, like after that, it went back to normal. So the other thing to pay attention to is what happens next cycle. Like if it had, if this is abnormal and this has never happened in the year that you got off of birth control, pay attention to your next couple of cycles. Does it happen again? Or was it just kind of this one cycle, it came early and then it goes back to being normal? Because we're looking at cyclical patterns. Like if next month I get my period, if I have another 22-day cycle instead of a 32-day cycle again next month, then I'll be more concerned. Like, okay, why, like what's happening hormonally that I my cycle shortened by 10 days in one month and stayed that way? But if it next month, it kind of goes back to my normal 32 day cycle, then I'm not going to be that con like concerned because it was just a, a once one time thing that correlated with stress. If it becomes cyclical and it's like every month and this is now taking because it came six days early, it's now taking your cycle from a healthy 25 to 35 day cycle to like 
a 20 day cycle or a 22 day cycle that's really short and it's not within that healthy range and that's happening cycle after cycle, then it's time to look into it and maybe look into hormone testing if you haven't done that already since you've been off birth control for a year and see what's going on there. Okay, we've got two more. Next one. I just had a hysterectomy about a week and a half ago. Any advice on getting a good routine and any advice with hormones and all the things? So when it comes to having a hysterectomy, that for those of you that don't know, I think most of my listeners are around my age, um, but a hysterectomy is when you have your uterus removed or you have your uterus and one ovary or both ovaries removed. Um, it really depends on the person and what you actually have done. But if you, both of your ovaries are removed, then, and if you are, you know, in like your 50s, 60s, like you are getting a little bit older, um, you're now going to be reliant on your adrenal glands to produce your sex hormones instead of the ovaries you once had. So what is going to be a huge importance for you is stress management and nervous system regulation more so than someone, I mean, those things are important for someone that is my age that has, I'm 26 and I have all of my um, endocrine system parts. So I, but that's still important for me at my age, right? Because your nervous system and stress management play a huge role in hormones. But now, given the fact that you have had a hysterectomy, it is going to be 10 times more important for you to pay attention to your adrenal health and your stress management and your nervous system, because your adrenals are now not only your sex organ or your sex organs, your stress organs for your stress hormone, but they are also the, it is also the organ that is going to be creating your sex hormones. So adrenal health, adrenal health, adrenal health, make sure you're eating enough because a lot of times after women have a hysterectomy that you're, you like directly go into menopause, especially if you had both your ovaries removed, you're like instantly with the, the, you went from pre-menopausal to menopausal within a couple of hours, right? So if you are trying to diet right around this time or even in the near future, like that is putting stress on your body. And then a lot of women that have hysterectomies can end up having some thyroid issues and their metabolism kind of slows down. So making sure that you're eating enough food, you're supporting your thyroid and your overall metabolic health and not trying to like chronically diet um, if you decide to do hormone replacement therapy, make sure that you support progesterone and testosterone so that you don't accidentally put yourself in an estrogen dominant position. I have seen women before that they are postmenopausal and then they only, they get HRT, hormone replacement therapy, with just estrogen and they don't support progesterone or they're, they're supporting progesterone, but it's not, their body's not absorbing it. So then they're they're in an estrogen dominant state, which can cause issues of like moodiness. It can cause you to gain weight around like your hips, your thighs, your stomach kind of think cellulite. And with estrogen dominance, that's an, an anabolic hormone. So it want, it's going to like store and build and you're going to have difficulty losing weight um, when you're in this position and you're kind of like putting yourself in that position by not supporting testosterone and progesterone. So if you do do HRT, make sure you support estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, and make sure that you get labs done um, every so often to see what all three hormones are doing. Because I've had clients in the past where they're taking progesterone and estrogen, but their body's only absorbing the estrogen. So then they are estrogen dominant, and that's where some of the issues that they're having is coming from. And so we had to um, go to their doctor and ask them to switch the type of delivery method that their progesterone was so that their body absorbs it better because it wasn't absorbing it in the delivery method that they had. So um, you also want to support progesterone with estrogen to prevent your risk of breast cancer. All righty, last questions. Last question, ladies. And I almost said gents. There's no gents listening. Maybe there is if you are. Hello. Thanks for being here. I just... I highly doubt that I have any gentlemen listening to this. Okay. How to get rid of chronic constipation and not feeling hungry. I eat so little and I don't feel good. I can't diagnose you on this podcast and I can't even say this is what you have. So do your research after I say this, but this sounds and is very, very common with hypothyroidism where women are constipated and they are not hungry. 
And the fact that you said, I eat so little and I don't feel good, under eating can actually cause you to be hypothyroid because when you, it's the same thing as like, you're, I don't, it doesn't sound like you're dieting, but under eating or not eating enough simply because you're not hungry is still putting you in a calorie deficit. And it's the same thing of like trying to diet. The longer you do that for, the less fuel your body has. And remember that a toddler girl needs like 12 to 1400 calories. You're an adult female. You have a job. You, you might be working out. You have adult stressors. You need more than a toddler or like a young girl needs. So if you're eating what a, a young girl needs, like your body needs way more. And if you are under eating for a long period of time, your metabolism starts to slow down and downregulate on purpose to slow down the amount of calories that you are burning to as a protection mechanism so that you essentially don't burn away and starve to death, right? Women are really good at doing this. And this is why it's more difficult for us to lose weight because when we diet, we plateau much quicker because your body is like, whoop, stressor, not eating enough, slow down the metabolism so that we aren't burning as much. And that's why dieting is a little bit more difficult for women than it is for men. So if you've been under eating, you're kind of making the problem worse because you, if it is hypothyroidism, you need to eat even though you don't necessarily feel hungry because when people have this down-regulated metabolism or they develop hypothyroidism, their appetite usually goes away too. So then it, you get in this cycle that you mentioned where you're, you eat so little and you're just, you're not hungry though. Well, you need to feed yourself even though you don't feel hungry to kind of either, hopefully it's not, hopefully it's not hypothyroidism, but if it is, hopefully be able to reverse it and bring your thyroid health back to optimal, bring your metabolism up a little bit. So it's firing on all cylinders and then you'll eventually get your appetite back. So, um, and then addressing the constipation issue when people under eat and or develop hypothyroidism, a lot of times motility slows down because you're just not eating enough. And so then, um, constipation occurs. So that's very, very common when you're under eating. It's actually funny to me whenever I take clients through a reverse diet where they come to me eating a very low amount of calories, and then we reverse their calories up from maybe like 1200, 1300, 1500 up to like I don't know, 2000, 2200, I'll get a text and be like, oh my God, I'm pooping all the time. I'm having daily bowel movements. Like my bowel movements have never been this healthy looking. And it's just because they went from under eating for so long to now they're eating a healthy amount of food. So now that their um, metabolism is working a little bit better, they have more consistent bowel movements and the constipation kind of goes away. That isn't, it's not always that easy for everybody, but that is where I would start is trying to eat a little bit more, start with small things. So if you're not eating breakfast, I would start there. And I would just start with maybe like liquid calories to start. Maybe that's a smoothie. Maybe that is um, like using more oils when you cook. And by oils, I'm talking about like your grass-fed butter. I'm talking about um, your avocado oil, coconut oil, or um, olive oil, not your seed oils, but those are using a little bit of oil or butter gives you a lot of calories. So it can help bump up your calories without having to eat a lot of volume. So using that, like with your breakfast or on just your foods in general, um, nuts are an easy way. Another fat source to get, you don't have to eat a lot of nuts to get a good amount of fat. And like I said, just in the beginning, that is good to just in general, get your calories up. You're probably on, if you're eating so little, you're probably under eating on protein too, but sometimes it's hard to like get a ton of protein in when you have no appetite. So that's why I usually have people start just to increase that appetite with something small, like adding more oil, butter, or nuts to their food liquid calories like smoothies or no sugar added organic juices with you want to have a juice with some sort of fat or protein so it doesn't spike your blood sugar or even just fruit like having a banana with some nuts in the morning that's a very small breakfast it's not going to make you feel too full it's not very high in volume but it's giving you a like a, a wee bit of protein in the nuts not very much but fat and carbs to be able to get something down 
depending on how severe the case is, I would be more focused on just getting calories in and then from there working on getting protein up, balancing your meals so that you're having a protein, fat, carb, and fiber with each meal. But first I would start with just at least getting something in to get that appetite back and then go from there. Um, once calories go up, then you can start focusing on increasing fiber too. You don't want to go from like no fiber to a ton of fiber in one day or else that could back you up even more. So, um, once you get calories up to a good amount, then, and I'm talking like 17, 18, 1900 calories, you can start increasing your fiber more and more and more closer to that, like 25, 30 grams of fiber per day, um, to help you also have consistent bowel movements and also making sure that you have enough water and electrolytes for healthy bowel movements as well. Some food sources that I really like to help with bowel movements are aloe vera juice. Aloe vera juice also is really good for thyroid health. Ginger juice, I love to make my own. So I just, I have a high power ninja blender. So I literally just take an entire ginger root, um, put it in the blender, add water up until it reaches the top of the ginger, maybe a little bit more, and I just blend. And then I put it in a sealed container. And then I take a two ounce shot every single day with my two ounces of aloe vera juice. Another thing that can help is magnesium. Magnesium citrate specifically has more laxative effect. So I would take that at night and I would start with a low dose of like 100 um, milligrams and work your way up. I don't want you to like just take a ton of magnesium citrate um, and then have explosive diarrhea. But you could also use like a blend of multiple types of magnesium. Magnesium citrate specifically works for like it's more beneficial for those that do have constipation. And eventually once you get those bowel movements regular from eating more and all of the things that I um, talked about, you could also inc or switch over to more of like a magnesium glycinate for regular use. Okay. I hope that helps. All right, y'all, those are all of the questions that I have. I do want to make a disclaimer that anything that I say in this podcast is never meant to treat, diagnose, cure, replace that medical advice of any of your medical professionals, all the things, all the disclaimers. I'm not a doctor. This is just what I would do myself. Or if you are one of my clients, I would advise you to do after looking at your health history. Um, of course, I can't diagnose or do any of that because um, I'm not a doctor, but also I can't necessarily tell you what you should do directly because I know nothing about you. I hope that this episode and episode one with this Q&A was helpful. I loved doing this. This is a lot of fun and I think it gives a lot of valuable information. So I will be doing these again in the future after I get a few more guest episodes on. So if you loved this episode, if it was helpful, please give me five stars. If you're not going to give me five stars, don't give me any stars at all. Just leave that star button alone. Five stars only, okay? I love you all. Thank you so much. And I'll see you next week.